0: Hello, welcome to Women in the Word. We are so glad that you're here, whether it is in person or over a screen. My name is Kate Tokar, and I am so excited to continue our study of First Samuel together today. I began my study of First Samuel chapter 17 in the weeks leading up to Christmas, and it was amazing to study David and Goliath in the context of Jesus being born with the purpose of coming to save us. I have been so anxious for us to study this together and see how we can truly trust God to be victorious in our lives. Now, during Christmas break, I watched one of my favorite movies. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it is Wonder Woman. It is fantastic. And while I was watching it, I couldn't believe how much it reminded me of David and Goliath. In case you haven't seen the modern Wonder Woman... The premise is is that Diana Prince, who that's Wonder Woman's name in the movie, and it's played by Israeli-born Gal Gadot, she grew up on an island surrounded by women who have supernatural abilities and can fight really well. So having been trained by these women growing up, she learned amazing fighting skills all meant to fight evil in the world. One day after she's an adult, a plane crashes on their secret island in 1918 and she rescues the pilot. And in doing so, she learned that the whole world was at war at World War I. She desperately wanted to stop the war and the God that she believed was behind the war, which is Aries. She believes it's a battle between good and evil and stopping it rests on her shoulders. So she and the pilot made their way to Belgium to the front lines of the war In one scene, she's in a trench in Belgium, just ready to head out onto the battlefield, when she's told she can't possibly leave the trench. The pilot told her, "'This is no man's land, Diana. It means no man can cross it.' This battalion has been here for nearly a year and barely gained an inch. Because on the other side, there are Germans pointing guns at every square inch of this place. It is not something you can cross. It's impossible.' And Diana is filled with the desire to stop the evil that lies on the other side, and she is not thwarted by the Germans. She refuses not to help, and is appalled that no one has done more to stop this evil. So Diana heads out onto the battlefield in an amazing scene with what appears to be very inadequate gear. She has a lasso and a shield, but she's facing German bullets and bombs. She begins doing what others thought was impossible and walks across the empty war-torn battlefield, blocking the shots fired at her. Once her success is apparent, the English army followed after her and they went and defeated the Germans and rescued the Belgian village that had been taken over by the Germans. Diana is a hero who was driven by her insatiable goal of destroying evil. Today, we're gonna read about David who also stood on the desire to destroy evil and he wanted to defend God's reputation. He courageously honored God, even in what looked like an impossible situation. So go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Samuel 17, please. Now, I want, before we start, to ask you to listen to this story with fresh ears today. This amazing story can often be taught in a way that Goliath represents your fears, and you are like David, and if you are just strong and brave enough, you can overcome your fears and defeat them. But the reality is, our biggest fears can only be faced by Jesus— so let's put aside what we may have heard in the past about facing our own giants and see what God has for us today. So let's read 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 11 and 16. Now the Philistine gathered their armies for, ba- their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Eph of Ephaphs, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line in battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now drop to 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. You might remember in the books leading up to First Samuel that God had rescued his people from Egypt and had given them the promised land, the land of milk and honey. However, they were going to have to go and take this land from people living there. Sometimes this looked like marching around a city until the walls fell, and sometimes it looked like straight on attacking and killing people. But regardless of the method, God was always the one to give the victory. And he gave them the promise that he always would. On your verse sheet, let's read Deuteronomy 23 through 4. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Now, one of the enemies of Israel were the Philistines. And we're pretty familiar with them by this point. The Philistines were not only a fierce army who liked to fight, but they also had strong beliefs in their false gods. This people group is thought to have descended from Noah's son Ham after the flood. So the battle recorded here in 1 Samuel 17 is one of the many battles Israel had with its enemies. Let's look at the map at where this is. So in the map that we gave you, unfortunately, exactly where this isn't marked. So I'm just going to kind of tell you where it is. So this is a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. I read anywhere from 10 to 15 miles. And it's between Bethlehem and Gath. So Gath is to the west, and then Bethlehem is to the east a little on the map, and it's in between there. Okay, let's look at the next map. Now here you can see the Valley of Elah. It actually connected inland cities to the western coast, so it extended for a ways. The Israelites were up on one hill, and the Philistines were on the other, with the Valley of Elah in between them. The Philistines lived on Israel's western border in towns like Gaza, Ashdod, and Ashkelon along the coast and inland in Gath. The Philistines had crossed the western border of Israel and had come inside Israel's territory by about 10 miles, and they were trying to take more of the land from Judah. In 1 Samuel 17, Israel was trying to keep them from succeeding. As we read in verse 16, Goliath, who was from Gath, went down into the valley of Elah twice a day for 40 days. And to the Israelites. A little interesting side note is that 40 days in the Bible often refers to a time of testing. It can be hard for us to imagine how the, the Israelites could have heard Goliath with such a distance in between them. But apparently the atmosphere in Israel is so thin that it's conducive to voices carrying really well. So the Israelites would have heard him loudly and clearly. Goliath was extremely intimidating looking, and we get a great description of him here that is meant to help us understand just how scary he was. Depending on the interpretation, he was about 9 feet 6 inches tall, even up to 9 feet 9 inches tall. For reference, if you're familiar with the basketball player Shaquille O'Neal, he's only seven one. Goliath was at least 2 feet taller than him. Goliath wore a coat of mail weighing 120 pounds, and the javelin he wore on his back would be like a long-pointed spear that was made to be thrown. And his actual spear was larger and thicker than most spears were, and the head of it weighed 15 pounds. That's like having a bowling ball on the end of your spear. We also learned that he carried a large sword, because if you've read ahead, you know that David used it to to, um, remove Goliath's head. Um, he, he also had a shield bearer who would be Goliath's first line of defense. Um, and while I was reading through this, I was just thinking of this poor guy. Um, when you have hate to have been Goliath's shield bearer, I just feel like um, you are facing whoever Goliath is fighting first, and Goliath does not seem like a nice man. So I think that would have been pretty terrifying. Now, Goliath presented a challenge to Israel that was a little unusual. He wanted Israel to send out one warrior to fight him. Each man would represent his entire army, and whoever won victory would win it for his entire army. And the losing army would surrender and become servants to the other. One commentator noted, it's not likely that the Philistines would have actually stuck to their word. They were brutal and likely to kill all of the Israelites after Goliath had won. Okay, look with me at verse 4 just for a second. This verse describes Goliath as a champion. When I think of a champion, I think of a powerful winner, someone who is the best of the best at what he or she does. Champion is a fascinating word because it actually means the man of the middle, like the middleman, the mediator. He goes to represent his people against the evil on the other side. He steps in and fights on behalf of his people. Well, who could possibly fulfill this role when the enemy was this terrifying giant? Israel didn't have anyone willing to go and stand in the middle. But perhaps there was a good candidate. In First Samuel 9-2, we learned that Saul was at least a head taller than the other Israelites, and he was meant to be a powerful leader for Israel. And Israel wanted a king to fight their battles because they wanted protection and security. So this should have been Saul. And as we've been learning, things had really fallen apart for him. He had not been fully obedient to God. And we see in verse 11, this state of the Israelite army. They were dismayed, which means to cause, to lose courage or resolution. And it also says they were greatly afraid, or the NIV says terrified. And the message says lost all hope. I imagine when Israel marched to their location to fight above the Valley of Elah, they did so with hope and confidence. However, it looks like Goliath threw a wrench in their plans, and suddenly they were facing what seemed to be an unwinnable battle. Again, we see the king that they wanted wasn't enough, and he was cowering in fear. Saul had been disobedient to God and was clearly not trusting God to fight this battle for them, despite the fact that one of the jobs of a leader is to instill confidence in his men and to be brave. We don't see that he has any sort of plan to defeat Goliath and the Philistines to save Israel. The Israelites had taken their eyes off of God, making it a battle they were to fight alone. Alistair Begg said, when we lose sight of God, we lose heart for the battle. Okay, let's continue the story in verses 14 through 18. David was the youngest of his brothers. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Drop to 17. And Jesus said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand, see if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. So, we see in these verses that David was too young to fight yet. So, from what we can best tell, he split his time between living with his dad, being a shepherd, and as Kathy told us last week, working for Saul as an armor bearer and a harpist. Jesse sent David to go check on his brothers and make sure that they were safe, as any parent would want. David traveled from Bethlehem, and he probably left early in the morning and traveled somewhere between 10 and 15 miles, and it should have probably only taken him a few hours. It would have taken me a little longer than that, but he got there quickly. Let's keep reading to see what happens next. So Let's read 19 through 24. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So David put down the food he had brought and ran to the front line to check on his brothers. And while he was there, he heard Goliath's threatening invitation for what we presume was about the 81st time for him to shout it. For over a month, twice a day, Goliath was bearing Israel deeper and deeper in fear and despair. Okay, let's keep reading. We're going to read in verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. In verse 26, it says in the ESV, what shall be done for the man who takes away the reproach from Israel? And that just means to, who's going to remove this grace? What's going to happen to them when this disgrace is removed from Israel? And then at the end of the verse, we see something very important. Israel recognized Goliath was defying them, but they didn't see the bigger picture that David recognized. David pointed out Goliath was actually defying the army of the living God. So David differentiated things here. He recognized that this was more than just a man threatening an army. This was a man who was defying or mocking the armies of God and therefore God himself. David called this what it was. It was evil coming up against God and his plans. People still do this today. The world lives in open rebellion to the ways of the Lord. Today we see people celebrating evil as as if it's good through things like aborting babies, abandoning God's design for relationships, worshiping other gods and idols, or turning away from God and relying on themselves. Now let me just say quickly, if you are feeling the sting of having participated in any of these things, you are in the right place relying on the right God. If you ask forgiveness and turn away from that choice and trust Jesus, you are forgiven and saved. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we should care about the evil things just as David did. David saw the big picture. He had an eternal perspective that did not come from occasionally interacting with God. We have to assume he talked to God and prayed while he was out with his sheep and developed a strong relationship with the Lord. We also learned in chapter 16 that David was given the Holy Spirit, so he had the Holy Spirit guiding him. We don't see mention of Saul or any others crying out to God for help or wisdom. The Israelites had totally lost sight of the big picture and didn't, this didn't seem like God's battle to them at all. As we move on, David asked what was to be done for the one who slew the giant. Now, I just have to say, when I was preparing for this, I did not realize the past tense of slay is slew, but there it is. So commentators differ in their thoughts about why David was asking what was to be done for the one who slew the giant. Of all the different reasons I read, the one that seemed most fitting is that David was surprised that for all of the honor and benefits, such as the soldier's family, probably would have been exempt from paying taxes and wouldn't have been forced to enlist in the army, that no one was yet motivated to fight this giant. It doesn't fit that David was asking because he was really personally interested in these benefits. He seems completely motivated by honoring God here and not himself. And he also knew that one day he would be king, whatever that looked like. Let's keep reading in verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now, if any of you here have siblings, Eliab's response probably sounds pretty normal to you. Eliab spoke contemptuously to David and he belittled David and thought he was just showing off and trying to be one of the men. We can't help but also wonder if Eliab was angry he wasn't anointed by Samuel as king. I imagine he was probably embarrassed that he was part of an army that was too afraid to go and fight. That's why it's particularly funny when Eliab says, you have just come down to see the battle. How David didn't respond with what battle, I will never know. So far, there had been no battle. You have to credit David for his kind response to Eliab. He showed so much more maturity in his words than Eliab did. Basically, he was saying, can I not even speak? And I love that David is not deterred by his brother. He pressed onward to inquire about the situation because he knew something must be done because God was being dishonored. He's really being dishonored not only by the Philistines, but by the Israelites as well because of their refusal to trust God. Now word finally got back to Saul that someone was willing to face this giant. I imagine him being disappointed seeing that it was David and that he was only a youth. Don't you love when David confidently said to Saul the king, let no man's heart fail because of him. This reminds me of what Moses said in Exodus 14, 13, and 14. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again, and the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. These are things the leader of Israel should have known and what Saul should have been telling his men. We see that Saul did his best to discourage David, telling him basically he stood no chance against a well-trained beast of a man. What an unlikely savior God had sent. But God had prepared David on the training ground of the grazing fields with his sheep. Something that is fascinating is Israel used to have quite an oppressive array of animals because of its varying ecological habitats. They had cheetahs and ostriches and crocodiles and hippos and a variety of birds. The lions that Israel had probably became extinct around 1200 AD from being hunted, but they are thought to be the size of an African lion weighing over 400 pounds, and they are mentioned many times in the Bible. And the bears that used to live in Israel were just a smaller brown bear, probably only weighing like 550 pounds. It was no big deal to fight that off. Um, The Lord had faithfully delivered David and his sheep out of the paws of lions and bears, and he would surely rescue his people from the hand of the Philistines. Now, this was a big risk because if things went badly, it wasn't just David who would die. The Philistines would have won, and Israel would have had to become their servants or worse. Saul told David, go and the Lord be with you. But apparently he didn't fully trust that the Lord was going to be with him because he tried to get him to wear armor that was way too big. Remember, Saul was a tall man, so these would have been huge on David. What Saul should have done was fall into his knees and cried out to the one who promised to fight Israel's battles and pray for David's protection and success. A couple of days before New Year's Eve, my mom had rushed out the door to take my stepdad to a doctor's appointment, and she just dropped him off and then uh, waited in the car. And on their way home, she had planned to stop at Kroger to get a bunch of groceries for a big New Year's Eve dinner that she was cooking. When she got there, she realized she had worn her house shoes to the car. So you've probably done that before. I know I have. Um, So she ended up wearing my stepdad's shoes into the store, and he wears a size 13, so they were five sizes too big for her. And she said she kind of had to like hold onto the cart and shuffle through the store because she couldn't keep them on otherwise. She said she looked ridiculous and felt like a clown. Um, I suspect that David would have had similar trouble when he had, if he had worn Saul's, Saul's armor onto the field. Now, when something frightening happens in my life, I sometimes try to suit myself up in things I think will be protective but aren't part of God's plan. Like if something bad or hard happens, I immediately jump into action. I can make all the phone calls and the arrangements. I can do research and get it all worked out. Except they don't tend to work out like I want them to when I am the one trying to be in control. Only when I stop and pray and turn my situation over to God do I find peace and see Him do amazing things. These are times that we should prioritize trusting in God and put on God's armor, like we read about in our homework. And prayer is a huge one. Stopping and turning the situation over to the Lord and waiting for his guidance and provision is worth far more than the hours of my work on the phone worrying or trying to make things work out. The funny thing is, Saul must have not have trusted that armor too much because he was not willing to trust it on his own skin out on that battlefield. David did not like that gear that that Saul was wanting him to wear, and he didn't feel comfortable because he had never even worn it before and he was not used to it. So David headed down into the Valley of Elah with three things, which seemed very inadequate for fighting a giant. A staff, a sling, and a shepherd's pouch. This was not a slingshot. It was a leather strap that had a little pouch where you could put a stone and then you would sling it around, building up force and then let it fly. A stone flung from a sling can go over 60 miles per hour and you can hit accurately from over 200 yards. We actually have a picture of stones that Shelly Davis collected when she visited the Valley of Elah. Also, on the front of your notebook, the white thing that looks like a rope under the word David is a sling, and the white things that look similar to eggs are his stones. In the Valley of Elah, there's a stream running through, and David stopped, picked up five stones, and headed toward Goliath. When he headed across that valley, he also had the confidence of the Lord. He knew God is powerful and that he would not stand being defied. David was a boy with some rocks and a leather strap, but he felt as if he had a huge army of heaven behind him. I wondered while working on this passage what David was thinking as he headed out toward the giant. Of course, we don't have his exact thoughts, but the amazing thing we do have for David are the psalms that he wrote. It was hard to pick which ones to read, but I'll just do two. Um, The first is Psalm 124.8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. In Psalm eighteen, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved for my enemies. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For you equips me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me seek under me. Okay, let's continue reading on. We're gonna read starting at verse forty-one. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now, Goliath was so angry and insulted that Israel had sent a boy out to fight him. He thought David was just walking out with his staff, and that's why he said, You come at me with sticks. David was young and handsome, and Goliath despised him. Goliath began hurling insults and smack talk toward David. Now, when I played basketball in high school, for home games, we would always wait until the other team had come out on the other end of the basketball court, and then our music would start. It was usually, womp, there it is. And our coach thought it'd be really intimidating if, instead of just running to half court and then starting on our end, if we ran all the way around the court. So we would run all the way around the court with the purpose of intimidating them. Really, I just thought we aren't really all that intimidating looking, and it kind of feels like we should save that energy for the game. But nonetheless, we continued on. I feel like if Goliath had a theme song as he came out, it would have been, all I do is win, 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 no matter what, what, what. Goliath did not run circles around David, but he did threaten to kill him and leave him there for the animals because this is one of the worst things that could happen after your death in that day. It was very disrespectful. And Goliath also cursed David by his God, and as one commentator said, this brings to the forefront the spiritual dimension of the confrontation. Then it was David's turn. He told Goliath he was going down quite literally. He was entering this battle with the God of Israel. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David was representing God. He was coming in the power of the Lord Almighty, and Goliath should have taken this as a warning. About a thousand years later, another came in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21, 9 says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. David also told Goliath that he would cut off his head and leave him and the Philistine army for the animals to eat. I think if David had a theme song, it would have been something like the Hallelujah Chorus or maybe I Lift My Eyes Up. And although not intimidating sounding music, they would have shown who David placed his trust in. David had a noble goal in defeating Goliath. He wanted the world to know there is a God in Israel. David's goal was also God's goal. God wants to be known and will be known. One day, every knee will bow and everyone will say that Jesus Christ is Lord, even Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. David sought to give God glory in his life, and we too can give God glory in our lives. This means acknowledging God's greatness and splendor through honor, worship, and praise. Okay, let's read 48 to the end. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell all the way from Shearim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tents. And then the last paragraph is just where Saul is asking his commander, Abner, whose family does this kid belong to? And um, Abner didn't know. So he asked David, and in the last line, David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Don't you love David's confidence? This is how I want to walk through life, just walking closely and depending on the Lord and confidently doing what he says with full assurance that he will work things out. I love he didn't even have the rock ready in his sling. He just did his normal thing. He ran, and as he did, he reached in his bag and took out a stone and hurled it. Now, it landed exactly where God intended for it to to land, in the exact spot that would bring Goliath to the ground. Commentators can't seem to agree on whether the stone killed David or if it just knocked him—I'm sorry, killed Goliath, or if it just knocked him unconscious, and then he died when David cut off his head. But we are certain that young David killed the almost ten-foot giant, covered in armor, and then took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. I really love the way he fell. Deb mentioned Dagon, the Philistine's false god, the first week, and in 1 Samuel 5, 2, Dagon fell face down to the God of Israel. And Goliath lost his head just like Dagon did. Goliath refused to surrender before God, and like Dagon, he was face down. And it's so great that God sent this teen boy because it makes it clear it was not David that he was strong and powerful, and that's why he won. He won because he trusted and obeyed God. This victory lit a fire in the heart of Israelites. David didn't just bring victory. He brought hope and courage and a reminder of who they were and what they were supposed to be doing. The Philistine army fled with the Israelites hot on their tails. Now, if you remember, that was not the agreed-upon thing. You were supposed to, you know, wait and then be taken prisoner or whatever when you were killed, but they didn't do that. The Philistine army fled with Israel hot on their tail, and the Israelites killed many of them and came back and plundered the Philistine camp, which would have been great for Israel because the Philistines had iron tools and weapons that Israel did not And we end with this delightful image of David carrying Goliath's head up the hill and back into the camp, and then later on into Jerusalem. And though this was for sure a gruesome sight, it was one to celebrate. Look what God had done, and look at David's tremendous faith in the Lord our God. So now that we finish the verses from chapter 17, let's see what this looks like for us. Alistair Begg said, We can look at how this is history for Israel— But also, how does it fit in God's big picture to save and redeem his people? He also draws a parallel between David and Jesus. He said, David was anointed and had the Holy Spirit and then stepped out onto the battlefield. David turned Goliath's weapon on him and killed him, just like Jesus turned Satan's power of death around and destroyed him with it. And Jesus gave us life. We celebrate in part now, but in heaven fully that salvation belongs to our God. Just like the Israelites became conquerors through David, we became conquerors through Christ. Okay, so the Israelites wanted a king to save them and to fight their wars. The reality is that's not a bad idea. It's a good one. The problem was God had already provided for that. He was their king who said he to fight their battles. Just like the Israelites, we need a king to save us from our enemies and to give us a hope in a future. We have this king in Jesus. Our first step in following and trusting Jesus is recognizing our need for him. Our problem is, is that God created us to be in fellowship with Him, but because of our sin, we can't be. Romans tells us the punishment for sin is death and that we have all sinned. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 describes some of what will happen to unbelievers. So please bear in mind, this is what you and I were destined for. When Jesus returns, He will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But God, Colossians 1.13 says, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. One author wrote, Goliath represented not only the Philistines, but also the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We see this in the New Testament in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Satan is prowling around trying to make us sin. He wants us to live as slaves to sin and not trust God as our Savior. Just like the Israelites couldn't escape Goliath on their own, we can't escape our sin and the consequences of our sin on our own. I want us to take a minute and think of ways that Satan tries to tempt us to sin and the darkness that he tries to bring into our lives. Maybe it's through discord in your marriage, getting you to believe lies about yourself or others, creating tragedy in your life, turning what seems like your whole world against you, frustrations or disagreements between family, friends, or coworkers, reminding us of our sin and tempting us to hide in shame, thinking our sin is just too much for Jesus to save. Trying to make us trust in ourselves, selfishness, lusting after a life we can't have, sexual immorality. This list goes on and on. Paul Tripp said, and brothers and sisters, when you are tempted by Satan, that challenge is not between you and Satan. That challenge is between Satan and your God. So as we look down into the valley and see these giants, sin, death, and eternity of separation and punishment, we need a savior. It's natural to want to save ourselves. We might try donating more money or going to church more often or maybe serving in more ministries or being extra nice to people and promising God that we will not lose our patience again. However, Romans tells, Roman tells us that none of that saves us because salvation only comes through faith in Jesus. We need someone to defeat our enemies, we need a champion. There is no way that we can fix the hurt we have caused, the sins we have committed, or do anything to get ourselves a pass from God's judgment except to believe in His Son who died on the cross to pay for our sins. I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible for Kids describes Jesus in the David and Goliath story. It says, many years later, God would send His people another young hero to fight for them and to save them, but this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. In the story of David and Goliath, David looked out over the land. No Israelite dared to enter and saw a victory. He was the champion that went between Goliath and Israel. Jesus came to destroy our sin, to destroy the power of death, and one day he will return to destroy Satan. We find the story of Jesus heading for this no man's land in the Bible as he was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark fourteen, forty one through forty two, he said to his disciples, The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. As he looked ahead to his suffering and death, he saw victory. And as Charles Spurgeon said, the cross that was meant to be the death of the Savior was the death of sin. I mentioned at the beginning that I love studying this during Christmas because David and Goliath shed new light on my understanding of what Jesus has done for us. One author said, Until the Son of God appeared, we were in captivity, we were in bondage, we were enslaved to sin, and Satan, and to ourselves. The coming of Emmanuel means the end of captivity. We have been set free, we have been ransomed, we've been redeemed, we have been delivered. In John 14:27 through28, Jesus says, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, "I'm going away, and I will come to you." So how do we respond to David and Goliath? One of the main ways I hope you'll, re- you'll respond is to remember God's past, faithfulness in your life, just like David did. God has done so many wonderful things in each of our lives, and we need to be able to recall them to encourage our hearts to fully trust God. God, um, So when we face hard situations where we are fearful, we should look to God as our champion. Trust that He will make a way through the situation that you are in, regardless of how unwinnable it seems. We have seen and studied God's character, and the more we do, the more we are willing to face something daunting with Him. We know we can trust him immensely with our future because we know he is kind, forgiving, powerful, holy, and fully in control and that he wins. I also hope this story gives you an expanded understanding of our need for a champion to save us from our sin and death, a savior that you can picture walking out onto that battlefield to change your eternity. One pastor put it this way, God's anointed king delivers God's people and secures their safety in the promised land. And I hope that you will love him and praise him for it. Imagine the celebration that took place when David killed Goliath. Now multiply that times a million, and that is what our celebration toward Jesus, our champion, should look like. Let's celebrate the victory that Jesus has given us. I also hope that we will be courageous and bring glory to God. We don't do this by looking at David and trying to be like him but by looking at who God is and remembering His past faithfulness in our lives and learning what He has done for us by reading the pages of our Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us to have courage as we grow to understand the power of Jesus in our lives and as we understand more fully what He did on the cross. David was delivered because he trusted God and we are delivered from our sin and death by trusting in God's Son, Jesus. David recognized what was going on. This was a spiritual battle recognize evil for what it is, boldly stand up for God's glory in your own heart and in our world. Now there are times that we fight back when the world dishonors God, but how are we supposed to fight? Now in the New Testament, we don't go kill others that are dishonoring God, so you don't need to go order a sling and some rocks from Amazon. God has given us other weapons like prayer, reading his word, and obeying him. Pray and be Christ-like. Allow God to build righteousness in your life. Pray for God's glory to be known throughout the earth. Read God's Word daily because it allows you to hear God through the words on the page and it teaches you what truth is so you can identify what is not true. If you struggle to read the Bible, it can be really fun to read through a chronological reading plan. Also, you could serve somewhere in your church, in your community, or in your home with a joyful heart. Maybe you have little people or older people in your home that need a lot of patience and care. All of this is light that fights back against darkness. Support causes that fight back against evil things like nonprofits that intervene in sex trafficking or support um, pregnancy centers. And consider not supporting companies who are big supporters to things that go against God's word. One author wrote, When we go to war, our very weapon is the finished work of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, it is not we who slay the giants, but Jesus. On the battlefield of our life, our proper role is not the heroic general, but of the faithful foot soldier. Until we learn to rely on our divine champion, we are destined for defeat. Jesus is the true giant slayer. And finally, work to build your relationship with the Lord now. David was able to fully obey God and trust him because he already had a relationship with the Lord. We want to put ourselves in that same position. Let's pray. God, thanks so much that we can be together to study your word together today. Please help us to trust you to be victorious in our lives when we face daunting situations that we can't fight alone. God, we need you in all parts of our lives. Help us to remember what you have done in the past and walk in such a way that we bring you glory. Thank you for David and his example to trust in you. May we walk in your comfort and hope that you have given us. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.